Welcome to another episode of the Rental Journal Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and today's guest is Tom Kimber. Tom is the General Manager of Kenarts Hire New Zealand. Working in the New Zealand equipment rental industry for over 20 years, Tom was actually originally involved with McEntee Hire, which was eventually acquired by Kenarts Hire, which took them into the New Zealand market. Tom, thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. To kick things off, can you talk to me about how you first became involved in the equipment rental industry? It was 1995 and uh, jobs weren't that easy to come by in 1995, so I was actually at university looking for a part-time job. Um, so I put an ad in the paper saying I was just doing that and, and wanted to get into whatever work I could find. And the local manager at uh, Albany and McIntyre High rang, rang me and asked me, asked me if uh, I'd be happy to do general tasks. And I went in and had an interview that lasted probably about 30 seconds and and that was it. So yeah, part-time job while at university, washing washing diggers and, and general general hand, I suppose. Yeah. Wow. And so did you think about equipment rental or the machinery industry back then? I didn't. I came from a probably a rural background, so I I I didn't know anything. Yeah, you'd you'd borrow gear, you wouldn't you'd never hire it. So the thought of hiring equipment was quite foreign. And I was I was pretty green. I, I was more into sport and and academic stuff so you know it wasn't that hands-on I couldn't even use a water blaster when I turned up so the pressure washer the electric pressure washer they had to show me how to turn that on so <laughs> not really not really uh I didn't think I was destined for the equipment hire I didn't even know it existed yeah that's interesting isn't it yeah I, I I've got that a few times from people that when you go back a while ago like even just the concept of renting something to somebody is very foreign it's it's amazing mm. what the world looks like today with rental, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, the whole subscription based stuff is sort of is, is is sort of more common now. Instead of instead of owning stuff, you have access to stuff. So, but back in '95, it was you know what? <laughs> yeah, a farmer would normally go next door and borrow a tractor off his neighbour and give him give him some eggs or you know a small barter system than actual than hire. So yeah, yeah, quite, that's true. Quite unique. So do you want to talk a little bit about what, in 1995, maybe we'll go back to them, what was McEntee offering as a rental service? Yes, yeah, so similar, I suppose, in the bandwidth of product to what Kennard's is, um, maybe a little bit more civil-based, so a little bit heavier, uh, a little bit more bigger bigger iron and um, rollers and excavators. But yeah, very, very similar, I suppose, you know, your, your tradies and your, your man in the van, and then scaling up a little bit into your, your civil contractors. So not completely foreign to, to what Kennard's um, product would have looked like back in that day either. Um, yeah, just, I suppose I remember hiring out a lot of chainsaws, a lot of demo saws, a lot of excavators uh, on trailers, breakers. Yeah, just just your good common common hire stuff and probably more um electrical tools like you had a we probably had a dozen uh skill saws on the shelf which you wouldn't see now it, it has it has changed but I, I think that's that's more of the industry rather than the the company yeah and, and then where were they based in new zealand at that time when i started they had about a handful of branches only really in auckland um when kennards took over it was over 30, um, including party hire, all in the North Island, nothing in the South. 
but yeah, it was a reasonable sized company by the by the time um, Kino Tire acquired uh, McIntyre. Okay, cool. And so you started in '95. What were some of the roles that you had over that period of time while you were just at McIntyre hire? Yeah, so yeah, worked worked part time for a couple of years, trying to pay off student debt. Then got offered a branch manager's role, so I, I, I took that. Then moved into an area area manager's role, uh, and eventually was the national operations manager for for um, McIntyre hire. Yeah, prior to the acquisition. Yeah, so in 2012, Kenatai expanded from Australia into New Zealand and, and acquired McEntee Hire. So, so what was your memories of, of the acquisition and then the changeover, changeover from McEntee Hire to Kenatai in New Zealand? Yeah, it was, it, was, it was a very unusual time. I was sort of, uh, yeah, definitely working for, for McEntee Hire, but also the future was Kenard. So, Trying to make sure that acquisition went as smoothly as possible was definitely um, part of part of what I needed to do. Um, it was a whirlwind, really. Like when you look back at it, there was a lot of branches, a lot of people came over. We had to consolidate some of our branches down into a more concise network. Um, so there's a couple of closures. There's a lot of staff we had to sign over to to Kennard. So yeah, it was. It was a lot on um, and a lot of work from a lot of people. So it was, um, it was, it was fairly intense, yeah. Were people nervous when, when the acquisition happened? Yeah, I suppose there's always, I mean, change always brings that. People are always hesitant of change and a lot of uh, people had long-term tenure with uh, Makany Hire. So it was a little bit of a shock, but um, I think, Kennard's even in New Zealand had such a good reputation that um, there was also a level of excitement about it that it might be a, a genesis for a new um, new business and and what we could do from that. So it, it was it was mixed, but um, yeah, as I say, Kennard's reputation was was fairly strong. So if anybody was going to acquire us, it was it was good that it was Kennard's. Mm, that's very true, isn't it? Even just overseas and other countries, Kenatai has that, that reputation of being like a very good operation, family-run organization. If you go into the branches, things look very clean. Uh, their mm. processes are down pat. I think it's like that they've got a bit of a, a reputation for, as you said. Yeah. I personally had you know involvement with the Kenards senior management for a number of years before the um before the acquisition you know tom kinross and peter lankin and even andy so I, I i sort of knew what we were getting into so from that perspective i could be a bit of a a bit of a storyteller for the rest of the crew and say look these guys are these guys walk the walk but they um but they back it up so yeah there's a lot of confidence from me personally that that it was a, a good move and i think that helps as well in a lot of ways Mm, that's awesome. So, so what was the New Zealand market like when Kenatai came into New Zealand in 2012? Uh, and like, what does the market look like more today? Because did did they add a level of professionalism? Do you think to to the market? Yeah, I mean, there was Highpool and Highcliffe and, and Mackenzie High were the big three. Um, we'd gone through the sort of ending the financial crunch that was on in 2008. So there was a not so much investment was possible um, from those companies. So a little bit of hanging on. And then um, uh, Hyapul and 
uh, high clip uh, consolidated shortly after keynotes came in. So the market is is, is quite different from that dynamic. Um, I, yeah, definitely. You know, if you're going to have an opposition, then Kennards is, is the one you want because of the, the level that they bring everybody else up to. And I, I know that might sound arrogant, but um, yeah, for, trying to take my hat off and looking in from a third party, it, it's it's definitely changed that the level of professionalism, the the quality of the equipment, and 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 just the way things are done is is quite different to. To when I started in the industry, that's for sure. And, and Kenard has had a, a lot to do with that. I think even the average rental rates, because Kenard's hire are known for not just being the cheapest because they, they want to provide a high level of service. They want to provide the best gear, all that sort of stuff as well. And so normally with that comes usually a higher or mid-range rental rate. And so what, what were the rental rates like in New Zealand when Kenard's hire first came in? compared to maybe what they've installed today? There was a three big bigger players that were taking lumps out of each other and the market was very depressed. So there was a, definitely a price spiral that was going the wrong way. Um, Kennard's, you know, we, we took over McEntee as it, as it was. Ah, sorry, yeah, as it was and the rates as it was. Um, but slow slow transition into, into what you see, like a focus on quality rather than in, in price um, but it takes a, it takes a while for that to be accepted as well you just, just can't come in and <laughs> and boost the rates and say we're, we're the best in the in the business to, to hire of us it, it, you need to you need to show that and, and prove that in the in to the customers and into the industry in a lot of ways so yeah it was a, it was a gradual process of of looking to quality and, and backing that up with what we what we're actually providing on the ground um, mm. And then price sensitivity definitely, definitely falls. Um, but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a an immediate transition into that model. It was um, a, a longer process. Mm. And what was the response from the existing customers from McIntyre? Uh, well, McIntyre's residual brand recognition was was incredibly high. I, I remember even being in a branch and. Uh, in Albany, it was uh, four years into the. It was it had been Kennards, and we had Kennards everywhere. I had a Kennards shirt on, and and the customer I was serving went and took a phone call and goes, "Yeah, I'm just at uh, McIntyre High now, and uh, I'm going to pick something up." <laughs> so that was quite a, a shock, but um, yeah, a lot of our staff were there, so there was continuity of that um, of people they knew and trusted. Um, so that was, I think that was really important and, and Ken answered that remarkably well to make sure that we could keep that continuity going and, and look after our customers with the people that have provided their service and people that they trusted and then backed it up with, with more investment and, and the processes and the systems that Ken do. So we almost got supercharged from a company that was very customer-centric, which was McEntee, and then we bolted on... Um, bolted on Kennard's performance and quality and systems and and uh, it, it really gelled quite well that that framework so yeah it was I don't think we lost too many customers I think yeah we, we just provided better service with uh, better equipment but the same the same people were, were ultimately there and, and and 
especially in the in the top tier customers, they always they always want to hire off somebody that they trust and have a rapport. So yeah, we kept that going pretty well. Well, I think when in 2012, McEntee had around nine, maybe 12 branches. I can't remember exactly what I read. And maybe there might be, Kanatai and New Zealand might have like close to 30. Is that accurate? 27 now, yeah. 27, yeah. wow. So that's a significant growth, growth as well, yeah, over that period of time. Yeah. Um, so we've done a, a number of acquisitions and put in a number of greenfields. We're now, we're not quite nationwide, but we're, we're fairly close to it. And in a lot of the key regional centres and cities in New Zealand, so yeah, it's been a it's been a good story. It's, we've got a lot more people on board. And we've got over two hundred staff now, and given them opportunities which they probably wouldn't have had either. So um, the growth of the company means that we can give our people that sort of growth and, and opportunities in in the industry as well. So that's that's been very exciting. Mm. It's always good to learn from those sort of experiences as well. So if you could do anything differently during that acquisition process, what would you think maybe you would do a little bit differently? Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting one. I, it's hard because um, you have to get it done. You have to get it done quickly. There's no point in a lot of ways holding on to the past, but I suppose in some of our more recent acquisitions, which have been smaller than the, the jump over the ditch to take over McEntee, but some of our smaller local ones is, we try to take the people on the journey a little bit more. So get alongside them and make sure that they understand why we're doing this and, and, and what we're about um, to give, give a little bit more time into, into explaining that rather than rolling in the skipments and dumping all the gear that they thought was precious. Um, yeah. So probably just a little bit more time on that, but nothing fundamentally majorly different. It's, um, it's a fairly it's a fairly good process and, and, and Kennards looks after the people and and yeah, there might be a few hurt feelings at the first in the first couple of weeks, but we normally get through that fairly quickly. Mm. Yeah. Well look at yourself, like your general manager of New Zealand. No, yeah. Is that your role within Kenata? Yeah. So it's yep. amazing, like thinking about this the story that you just told joining in nineteen ninety five, not knowing anything about it and now being the GM of, of Kenata in New Zealand. Yeah. It's um yeah, I suppose I didn't necessarily find the hire industry, but maybe it found me. But once once you get into it and, and, and see the, the, the dynamic nature of it and people that you can interact with, and it, it seems to be surrounded with a lot of good people. And, and um, that I suppose that's what drew me into it and, um, and kept me here. So it's been a great journey, and I'm looking forward to a few more years if they keep me. i'm sure they will so let's learn a little bit more about you as well so what were some of the challenges that you face in your early part of your career and how do they differ from the challenges that you face today do you think well i suppose early on it was um from my perspective was learning the gear and making sure that i understood what our equipment was and what it did and its function and then being able to sell that so yeah my i suppose my advice to my early earliest for supposition would be just understand the equipment really well because that's ultimately what we do um, and if you don't understand the equipment and its function then you can you can't advise or help people with that so spend time on that um, don't be 
going to be challenged by the fact that you don't know, because uh, especially in keynotes, uh, we, we have a lot of resource that can help, uh, a lot of great knowledge uh, with the people. All comes from the fact that you, you actually know how to to qualify what the equipment they need. Yeah, no, it's, it's all very true. So if you could um, give some advice then to maybe a new yardman, the guy that's turning up or the girl that's turning up to, to turn on that pressure washer at Kenatire, what would you say to them? <laughs> uh, learn your craft. Like, don't don't be in a rush to um, to to think about the next step. But just learn your craft. You you spend a lot of time at work, so why not try and be the best at what you're doing at the, at that time? Whether it's it's the best digger washer or excavator washer or the best truck driver or the best customer service person. Try and be the best at that. Um, so learn that craft and and excel in what you're doing and what's in front of you at the moment and then everything else comes into play from from there everything else seems to fall into place once you once you become that qualified expert in that in that area um, and recognized as that so your, your brand becomes better because you are the best truck driver you're the best service person you're the best uh, digger washer so it's mm. um it's all about that learning that process being being really good at it and then everything else falls into play from there. And, and how important do you think it is or how much does it help maybe you knowing that you you started off using a pressure washer and washing machines rather than someone that just comes in as a general manager into a rental organisation? Well, I suppose I've got empathy for every role. Nobody can sort of talk to me and go, oh, you don't know what it's like, because I do. Uh, might, might be quite different than what it was 20 years ago, but it's fundamentally still the same. Yeah, loading a digger onto the back of a trailer or or getting clay off out of a track. So, yeah, that's um, that helps me in, in, in my empathy with the, with the team. So understand the pressures, what it is like when you've got a customer in front of you and then you've got another phone call coming in and... Uh, and and you've got deliveries in the back of your mind. So yeah, I I suppose I can I can put myself in in their shoes from an empathetic perspective easier because I've I've done a lot of that and done done pretty much all of it. I suppose. <laughs> mm, yeah, very very cool. All right. So who do you think played a big influence on you from your career perspective? Yeah, it's a it's it's a long list, um, a very long list. I mean, I've been lucky in Kenard's Hire. I don't have to look too far to see some some amazing people in senior management and, you know, your, your Peter Lankins, your Tom Kinrosses, your Bill Whitehouses, yeah, Stewie Dean, you know, like some real um, real influential people in the in the industry and, and some incredibly intelligent businessmen that that, that um, have really helped me and just looking the way they operate way they deal with people, you know, even Andy Kennard himself, I'm lucky enough to have spent uh, a, a lot of time with Andy and, um, you know, just just his passion for, for the industry and, and the way he deals with people is, um, is quite breathtaking. Then, you know, rub shoulders with other people that have been and gone, like, you know, Theo and I suppose you look for those sort of inspirational people that, that make you better and, um, and this, yeah, and then I've been lucky to have a, a lot of them. So maybe it takes a village to raise a child, and, and I've been uh, lucky enough to have a, a, a group of people that I'd consider all mentors here. Mm. It's something that I always try and talk about on this podcast because 
a lot of young people think that they're on their own. Like they've got a job or a career and they just got to solve every problem by themselves or they're, they're on their own journey where really you've got all these resources around you, whether they work within your organization or they're outside of your organization. And you should try and learn from those people and, and spend time. Cause most of the time, like if, if some new person come up to you and ask you, Hey, Tom, can, can you um, shed some light? I, I, I need some help with this. Like you're going to give them the time of day. You're going to give them advice where a lot of people get, they, they get intimidated. So I, I always try and promote that on the podcast that people should go out and ask for help and ask for advice and, and seek out mentors. Oh, hundred percent. Like it's um, probably the biggest learnings you can get, ever get is off a, a mentor rather than, you know, you can have a degree or, or, or do that study, but, but ultimately it's that real life learning and that uh, experience that you get off a, a quality mentor or mentors that um, is, yeah, it's in, invaluable. And you, you do have to show a bit of vulnerability, I suppose, which is, is a word that I like to use um, with people that I talk to is just show some vulnerability. You don't know it all. Um, nobody knows it all. We're all, we're all learning as we go. So, so why not ask? It's the best way you can get forward is, is, is finding those people that have been in different situations that you, you might never get yourself into, but they've been there and, and worked it out and, um, and have been uh, are successful for a reason. So what is that reason? What, why are they successful? What is the, the element of their makeup that makes them successful? And, and study that and be curious about that. And then, then go, yeah, okay, I see that and I'll take a bit of that on. Or maybe I won't take a bit of that on, but it really forms your own leadership style and, and personality and, and, and being a, I suppose, being a better person in a lot of ways, which... Um, Normally, if you're a, a good person, then you're a good leader. So, yeah, showing that vulnerability, asking those questions and, and seeking out mentors is, um, is ultimately the, the best learnings I've ever done. Mm. And there's no rush. Like, you, you don't have no. to achieve a career over a year. <laughs> You've no. got time. You, you, people, you know, they often think that if they're not achieving their goals over the next, like, three years, then they've failed you've got a journey, a whole life to live. Like that's probably the, the part of it. You, you want to live that life and that journey and that career, not just say you've succeeded in 12 months. Imagine if you had all your goals and you succeeded in 12 months, how boring life would be. <laughs> yeah. 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 The all the all blacks would have to stop winning the World Cup, I suppose. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, now we're going that discussion, are we? <laughs> <laughs> I had to bring it in sooner or later. Oh, that's funny. Cool. All right. Well, if you could give some advice to young face Tom in university, what would you say? Yeah. Stop, stop playing sport and uh, go to the pub too much and do some more study. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. uh, Probably what you said before was quite, quite relevant. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a step in the journey. It's not the, it's not the, uh, it's not the end of it. So it was, um, you know, you, you go to university and you, you have all these massive ideas of what you're going to be and what you're going to do. And, and, and hire was definitely not part of that thought. <laughs> but I found myself in, in that place. And, um, and yeah, just I suppose it's look for those opportunities that are in front of you. Don't ignore them. What you're doing now is important. Don't belittle anything that you would do and, and grab it with both hands. So, yeah, you might have a plan, but plans change and um and that's not a bad thing that's um i think it shows 
shows a level of vulnerability and maturity to be able to actually adapt to something which is in front of you rather than going, well, I'm not going to do that because that's not what my plan was. Um, so just, just go with it. Mm. And I think also you're allowed to change your mind. Mm. So if you make a decision, just because it might be the wrong decision doesn't mean you have to keep it just to show face or to make, to show, make sure people don't know that you made a mistake. Like sometimes it's okay to be wrong and change your mind. Or even if you're right, you might want to change your mind. You have a different yeah. feeling about something. So that's probably another thing that I always think about. It's like, it's okay to switch it up and people usually won't care. No, no the person that cares the most is probably you. And that's your own head, not uh, talking to you rather than other people. So I wouldn't, yeah, definitely, definitely don't think about the tractors that are in your own head and just, just, go with what you think's right um and if it's something you want to have a crack at have a crack at it yeah yeah that's it's, it's those internal internal voices can be the ones that are the biggest detractors and that's not necessarily accurate so just mm. give it a crack what's in front of you It'd it's be the funny best it's, you can do. it's funny it's like if you listen to your internal voices you, you're basically defining your own perception of reality and then you speak to other people and they might have a completely different view that you were not even aware of around what they thought you were going through. So yeah, you can never just listen to your own, your own thoughts. Yeah. 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 And just, yeah, there's no, there's no right or wrong. All, all our chances are half chance. So we all, we, we all, um, we all have a path of choices in front of us. So sometimes it's, um, it's when we don't make a choice that's the wrong decision rather than actually just making a choice and going with something. Mm. Yeah. Very true. All right. So how do you define success? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question. Um, I suppose I've never, I've never chased authority or power or um, any of that, but I, I've always wanted to be in an organization where I thought I had influence and, and could help, help the people within it and, and shape a path. So I think for me, success is, is, is knowing that I, I suppose I'm in a role which does that. So from a from a country perspective, I've a lot of influence over the direction of where we're going and the and the people that work within that team. But also from a company's perspective, I can um, I have influence on strategic decisions and things like that. So that to me, that's um, that's my personal success. Is I feel that that I have worked myself into a position where I I have influence and and that to me that's um, yeah really satisfying mm, yeah very true and it's it's um yeah you can't put success down to to one thing as well i think it's it's a mm. group of things that sort of build up over time and and elaborate what your career looks like or even a personal success as well as you said and yeah and you know how other people view you as well like i think you know it's um success is is not necessarily what your individual goal is, but it's, it's about how other people perceive you as, um, as a leader and as a, as a person. And I think being judged on success is, is almost, <laughs> is almost getting that vote from, from other people. So, you know, he's, he's doing a good job and he's, um, he, he treats his people right, or he, um, he's, he's grown a business or, and that comes from others rather than yourself. Mm. Yeah. Something that I learned, a lot over just the last few years is 
you can get so much more done when you bring others up around you. Like the, the goals that you can achieve when you, when you've got a team around you that you're mentoring to then have them succeed means that your six, whatever your definition of success is, is going to be so much greater than what it would be when you're just on your own. Well, hundred percent. Yeah. And then again, even a measure of your success is you look at the people that are around you, you're, your direct reports or your, your direct senior team, you, you, you measure your quality of, of how you're succeeding by the, the quality of them. And I'm very lucky in New Zealand that I've got an amazing senior team around me and, and, and we've achieved so much, but it's, it's, it's through them that um, that achievement's possible. I, I'm, I couldn't do it by myself, not, not for a long shot. And I suppose I try and try and work on my senior team and, and we all, very close and work off the same um, goal, but um, also a, a cultural beliefs that that how we act and how we treat people and how we behave, and and then everything else seems to sort of sell out from there once you've once you've got that right. All right, Tom. Well, thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. No worries. Thank you very much for having me. This podcast episode was proudly supported by our premier partner, Kenart Tire.